0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Engaging Faith Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Frame, and on this week's episode of Expeditions, we're in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, taking a deep dive look at what this seven-sealed scroll in the right hand of God could be. And in doing that, we're kind of taking a little bit of a side trip and looking at this background information that's underlying this, something that we can't forget in terms of understanding what Revelation is about, and some of the the context that is there. And that context is marriage. So we're looking at this whole betrothal process in the ancient Israelite culture, and it's very important to understanding some of the things that are taking place. So that's what we're going to talk about and begin. We're going to look at that over the next couple weeks, actually, uh, and how it kind of overlays onto Revelation itself. So God bless. I hope you enjoy it. We're going to jump right in. All right, so hey, we're in week number 36. We're beginning, uh, we're, we began last week, so Rick, I hope you're there. We're going to read uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 again. And we're really taking this side trip, right? We've got to, now's the time to really kind of take a side trip because of this scroll that is has been identified, okay? And because not only the scroll, but some of these events that we're seeing, uh we need to have this backdrop in our mind that we're going to talk about today because it's important to, the, to Revelation and to what's going on. So Rick, go ahead, read uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Amen. amen, amen. So we uh, you know we've already talked in depth you know about about this scene, so we're not going to go back and revisit that. but here we are, right? I mean we've got this scroll and we got Jesus, the Lamb of God who who has now revealed himself is or we're about to see that right? Uh, next that is is worthy to open. So the question right now is who's worthy to open this scroll and what is this scroll? So we're we're going back and forth talking about what this scroll is. Now what we want to do, is we, we want to talk about a really important topic, because Scripture, where did the church start? Next. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the church is Jewish. Right? Now, guys, we totally ignore that. As a matter of fact, I mean, we, we have swung so far away from from this reality that it's it's pretty crazy. And that, that, that can be a whole other class and discussion, which you know someday in the future we'll probably go ahead and do. But nonetheless, the point is, we can't forget the Jewishness of, of Christianity. We can't forget the Jewishness of the gospel and of, of, of the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. I mean, Jesus was Jewish, right? The first Christians were what? They weren't Gentiles. <laughs> they were Jews, okay? And, and so, so we have to begin to understand kind of that Jewish mindset and the, and the Hebrew culture and all those things to understand Scripture. So here we've got something that we never talk about uh, as it relates to Revelation and, and, and you know, a lot of things regarding the New Testament Scripture. And so what we want to look at is we want to look at just the betrothal and marriage process. Today we're going to start with the betrothal process. Uh, and I want this as a backdrop because it needs to be. You need to have this in the back of your mind as you're thinking about what's taking place in Revelation. And not only that, but you're going to see, man, this overlays right onto the New Testament, the Old Testament, all of it, and, and, and what God is doing. Right? I mean, Jesus continually referred to himself as, a bride, as, as the groom, right, as the bridegroom. Why is he choosing that language? You know, why is it that, that we as his children are the bride? You know, why is it that it, you know, when we get to Revelation 19, behold, man, the, the, the wedding supper of the Lamb, right? The feast is about to take place. So this language is there and it even, it's already started. And so to understand that, we got to go back a little bit to Revelation chapter three. I need somebody to grab chapter three, verse twenty, and read that, and that's where we're going to begin uh, our discussion. Anybody? I got it. Oh, Rick was ready. Go ahead, Tam. She was waiting. I saw her looking out of the corner of your eye. Out of the corner of his eye. Go ahead. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. All right. Guys, remember this passage when he's talking to the church, right? Man, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anybody will open it, I'll come in and I'll eat with them and they'll eat with me. Right? So most believers, and we talked about this some when we were going over that passage earlier. Uh, but most believers, they look at this as, a, as you know what, this is Jesus knocking at the heart's door of the believer, or not the believer, the heart's door of humanity, and he's telling them, "Open the door, let me come in, and if you'll let me come in, my Father and I, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna save you, right? We're gonna restore you." And you know what? That's a proper interpretation. And remember, you know. My hope is when we get done with all this revelation discussion, uh, that you're going to realize all of these interpretive models and where they come from and, and aspects of them are all found in Revelation. So, to just stick to one particular lane isn't, you're, you're not going to get the whole counsel of God's Word and you're not going to understand uh, Revelation and, and all of those things. You, you need all of it in order to understand it. And so. In the same way, that interpretation of Revelation 3.20, that's right on, but it's not the whole story. Okay? It's not the whole story at all. And what do we mean by that? Man, he said, I'm knocking at the door. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in, and I'll I'll dine with you, I'll eat with you, and you'll eat with me, right? Well, this language is found elsewhere throughout Scripture, and there's something really important about it. And it deals specifically with the betrothal process. I mean, after all, what are we ultimately when we're in heaven? Man, We're the church is the bride, right? All of us combined is the bride. And that gets into, we, we won't get into all of it, uh, but that gets into some interesting discussions as well. So we need to maybe step back for a minute and say, well all this language is here, why is it here? Well maybe we need to understand what's actually behind it. Right? So we're going to look at these the betrothal process and these ceremonies and these rituals and and in the ancient Hebrew and it, this is the case today. They've modified it today so that there isn't it's all instant basically, you know. They don't have all that time and what have you that they had in, in ancient Hebrew culture, but nonetheless it's, this is pretty much the same process even today, okay? <laughs> so what we have is, you know, we have this marriage arrangement, right? And we all have in our mind how arranged marriages work out in these ancient cultures, right? What is it? Yeah, the, you're going to marry this guy. Yeah, and, <laughs> and and you know what, Tammy? Your dad decided you're marrying Shane, and you just just deal with it, <laughs> right? I mean, that's how we view that process. There's also certain things that go along with that while you're married to this person. Absolutely there is, right? There absolutely is. But the choice in our mind when we think of it, Tammy doesn't have any say in the matter, right? She doesn't have any say in the matter. It's decided. Now, as I'm doing this and we're talking about key things, I hope your mind just starts kind of exploding. Your heart just starts to connect some dots and recognize some things. But but our mindset is that you don't have any choice in the matter. Tammy, you're marrying Shane, it's settled, deal with it, okay? Now, Solomon did that a lot. Huh? Solomon did that a lot. Yeah, Solomon did. Didn't a lot. <laughs> so did Saul with David. Yeah. Except there's something really important in the process that we don't know about and we don't hear about because we don't study this at all. That is that no, that's not quite it, as a matter of fact. Typically what happened is these two have already indicated in ways that they like one another. And there's this advantage. Not that, not that our way of thinking about it didn't happen. It absolutely did. But the process itself was no. All right, There are two families who are going to come together. and It's going to be advantageous for these families to come together. And, and when this decision is made, guess who has to consent? The bride. The prospective bride had to consent. To the arrangement, and if she didn't, guess what? It was off. It wasn't going to happen. Now that doesn't mean forced marriages didn't happen. They absolutely did. It doesn't mean that there weren't arrangements that were politically motivated and studious for houses. Absolutely, that happened. Okay, but in, we're talking about the ancient Hebrew betrothal process for the everyday Israelite. Okay. So, she had to consent. Get that in your mind, okay? What are we? What are we? Go ahead. There's an example of it with Isaac and Rebecca. Absolutely, there is. No, that's exactly right. What do we have to do for me to for me to enter into? into this relationship with God as one of His children to become part of the bride, the church, what do I have to do? Consent. Consent. Yeah, is He going to make me do it? Has He decided that for me? No. I have to consent, right? So this is an important aspect. The other thing is, you know what, this is a significant event this is this is a this is a significant social event it's a religious event it involves a lot of people there's a process i mean this isn't just a hey will you marry me get down on on your knee yes i will you know and everybody take pictures kind of a thing this is a this is a major event that has significant religious meaning associated with it and social meaning so it involved lots of people it involved the families it involved friends it involved the community that's why you know, there's a, just a significant difference in, in the importance of marriage and family and the connections that are made, the bonds that are there, versus a lot of what we see in Western culture. I mean, you know, there are families who, they get, you know, their kids get married and then they don't really have anything to do with each other. Okay, I want you to think about that. There's not a real connection between the family members. In, in a lot of families. And if there is a connection, it's generally kind of a loose connection, right? I'll see you at the holidays and, oh my God, I don't want my mother-in-law around, right? <laughs> kind of a thing. I mean, that's the way that the Western culture sees it. But it, this is a process of covenant and commitments that are made. And man, there are ceremonies that go along with these covenants and commitments that are made. And these parallel the covenants of the Old Testament, And they parallel what we see happening in the New Testament and in Revelation. So this is a big deal. And and generally speaking, there was 12 months. I mean, this process was a 12-month process, and sometimes it took a number of years. It wasn't just a quick thing. Today it is. You know, even in Israel, this process is still here, but it's quick. You know, they take out the time. So, and here's the big deal. When all this is decided, okay, the consent hasn't happened yet. The father knows, hey, Tammy's got eyes for Shane. And and Shane's dad knows, hey, you know, Shane's got eyes for Tammy. And this this is a family uh, relationship that we want to move forward with, all that kind of good stuff. And so the process is going to begin. There's a go. All right, I know this. So now we're going to start that process, okay? And it's formal. So so once the process begins, the first official move in the betrothal process is that the groom, all right, is going to bring his dad to the intended bride's home. And what do we see in Revelation 3.20? What does it say? I stand stand at the door and knock, right? So when they come to the house, they're bringing some items with them. They're bringing a betrothal cup. They're bringing wine, and they're bringing the anticipated price. What what is the price for the bride in a pouch? That man does any of this ring any bells? The price that Christ paid for us. What? The price that Christ paid for us Amen. as the as the groom. Amen. And what did he do? What was the last event that he did with his disciples before he paid that price? What do we call it? The Last Supper. Mmm. Man, the Last Supper. What did Judas Iscariot have? Right? What did he take to give to to the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Man, he took 30 pieces of silver and betrayed Christ. And sold him out, didn't he? Man. I mean Judas was the he was the keeper of the money, he was the treasurer. And he goes to the world, he goes to the to, to the Israelites and he hands them the money. And then Jesus gives his life for his bride. That's the blood covenant. Okay? We'll talk about that in a minute. But then what does he do? So he's bringing these items with his dad, and he's coming to the house. What does it say that he's doing in Revelation 3? Right Now, it, this just totally goes by us, right? I mean, when we read that passage of Scripture, we, we think in terms of, hey, if I show up at Shane and Tammy's house, all right, well, of course I've got a knock on the door, Right? I mean, I'm not going to kick the door down, or well, you know, we know, him, so I'll just walk in. <laughs> it was, it was open and he, and he, they do the same thing at our house, right? but but that's not what happens, right? This is a big deal. This is a formal part. This is a requirement. They got to knock on the door, and there's a whole reason that they've got to knock on the door, right? And so so he knocks on the door because what's happened already is if 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 it's a go, then the. The groom and the father, they've already let it leak out. They purposely let it leak out to the family, to the father of of the potential bride, that, hey, a formal proposal is coming. Okay? So they're prepared, they're waiting. He knows when this formal proposal is is coming. Okay? So the the knock on the door is not a surprise. It's not a surprise. So the dad, so what that means is they knock on the door. And the dad's waiting, okay? He doesn't go over and go, oh, let me see who it is, okay? He goes over the door, and there's a little window in the door. And he's waiting on the other side, and he opens and peeks through the little window through the door to identify who it is that's at the door, okay? And when he sees this is the groom and the father that are at the door, he can't open that door. He doesn't, the father can't do it. Not yet, he's gotta stand at that door and now he's gonna ask his daughter a really important question. Hey Tammy, do you want me to open the door? And and, and Tammy knows, okay? So Tammy's given her consent. Yeah, I kinda of like this dude. And yeah, I want, I, I want him to be my husband. Open the door. So the father opens the door. And when the father opens the door, the groom and his father, they come in, right? And because she's given her consent and they're coming in, the commitment is now made. I will stand at the door and knock. Whosoever opened the door. When she said yes, and the father opened the door and they walked through that door, the commitment is made. (laughs) And that commitment, and this is really important, okay? Although we still have a process, so I put an asterisk over here that we'll talk about in a minute. But at this point, when she said yes, and the father opened the door and let the potential the groom come in with his father, the commitment is made that they're gonna be husband and wife. And guess what? Legally, they're considered Engaged? No. Married. <laughs> what? Married, didn't he? At that point, yeah. they are legally considered man and wife. Process isn't done yet, but they're considered man and wife. Now some say, and I haven't been able to confirm this entirely, but I'm going to put it out there because enough of them say it, that at this point, the Tammy can still get out of the marriage. Okay? Uh, but the man can't. She doesn't have to accept the gift. She doesn't have to accept it because it's not finished yet. Although, on their side of it, this is my wife. Okay. Now, I don't want you to read too much into that, but there are a number of, of scholars that say this is the case. But there's a lot of argument, too, that goes back and forth. All right. But at this point, here's the most important part of the whole thing. They're legally considered man and wife. Okay? But you still have a process to go through. So it starts right here. So we see he says, I'm gonna come in. When you open the door, I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna eat with you, and you're gonna eat with me. Well, what why is that important? Man, because this is an official part of the process, of the betrothal process. Now we've got some things to do. We gotta work out details. We gotta we gotta talk about things like, you know, hey. What is? They haven't even finalized yet. Although he knows what the price is, you know, actually it's pretty well established at that point what the price is going to be, etc. But they've got a lot of haggling now that they're going to do. Okay? And they've got to work out a lot of details about the marriage and the, the wedding event and all these kinds of things, and they're going to work out, and it's called ketubah, which we'll, we're not going to talk about today, but we'll talk about it next week. Uh, They've got to work that process out. And it starts over a meal where the families are coming together. And they're going to begin negotiating. They're going to start talking about what's she bringing, what are you bringing, what are your roles and responsibilities. Make sure that Tammy understands purity and all these things that are required. Okay? All that kind of good stuff. It's going to all get worked out. And, man, that's a raucous time. in the Okay? And, and these are important little details because we're being sanctified. Aren't we? I mean, when we're here, aren't we going through a process when we've accepted Christ? Man, when we've said, you're, our, you're my Lord, now what's happening? What's, work, what, what's Darren having to go through? Man, Darren, you got this, you got to get rid of that because God requires holiness. And you're holy because he's holy and he's in you. And so that holiness means, you know what, Eric, you're not going to do those things. That you used to do. You're not going to think the way that you used to do. And I'm going to work that out of you. And this is part of what it means to be my bride and right? To be part of my household and my family. And I'm going to do things. I'm going to give you gifts. (laughs) Because that's part of the process. Right? And so the very first thing that would happen when they would come in is that the members would there's this process. I mean, remember, he's brought this betrothal cup and he's brought wine. Okay, and and this is an important part of this whole process. And man, think of the Last Supper and all those kinds of things, right? And so he's brought these things with him, and now the whole family is going to gather together. And the whole family is going to participate in this process or certain aspects of it. And it is progressive, okay? You don't jump. you You don't do the end first. There's this process. It's progressive that they go through. And so he says, "I'm going to come in, and I'm going to eat with you." And there's these four cups of wine that they're going to drink, and as they drink, and each of these cups of wine have very, very specific meaning associated, and they happen at a very specific point in time in the process, and that's why, and they use the betrothal cup to do it. So why are there four cups of wine? I need somebody to go grab Exodus chapter 24, verse 7. Do I have a taker? Anybody? I got it. Oh, Tammy's got it? Mm -hmm. All right, so Exodus 24, verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. So Moses takes the book of the covenant. And when you read earlier on, starting around chapter 23, like verse 8 or so, uh, up through here, man, this is God. It's called the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, right? This is what Moses has. And this is important because of the ketubah. And it's important because of the covenants. This book is called the book of the covenant, okay? So in these first five books that make up the Torah, the book of the covenant that Moses reads to the people and tells them, and we're going to do everything the Lord tells us to do, man, you have basically seven covenants that are outlined in the Torah. And those seven covenants really get moved down over time into four overarching covenants. Now, man, there should just be some imagery coming in your head, right? I mean, how many of these created uh, creatures were around the throne? Four. There's four of them. So numbers matter in Scripture, right? So these seven covenants, they get narrowed down basically into four fundamental covenants. And these four fundamental covenants that you find are the blood covenant, right? And so the blood covenant is the servant covenant. Man, it's the servant covenant. And what did Jesus say about himself? Anything to serve man he came to serve didn't he and then what are we called to do when we give our lives to christ we're called to serve we're called to serve him we're called to serve our, our brothers and sisters in the in in the family right and we're called to serve in the world we're called to extend the kingdom of god and man, it's by his blood that we're able to do that. And the servant covenant was always started out or ratified with a sacrifice, with blood. So you have the servant covenant. And, and if, if we can't see how this grows and points, I mean, remember everything. Man, it points to Jesus. It points to God. It points to his redemptive plan for mankind. for for restoring what he originally began, right? So we have the the salt covenant is the second covenant. Man, the salt covenant, you find this in the Old Testament. You find it obviously in Torah, but you you find this salt covenant. You even find it in the New Testament. The salt covenant was a covenant of friendship, and it was eternal. Man, the salt covenant, they throw salt. Right? And the salt covenant was an eternal covenant of friendship. What are you? What are we called to be? Salt and mine. <laughs> and, if, and if salt loses its flavor, what, what good is it, right? right? Man, you and I are called. He said, Man, I no longer call you slaves, right? Or, or, or even servants. What does he say? i call you friend and as my friend and then it progresses to we're his bride we're his family right we're we're inherited we're going to look at that next but as his friend in this eternal covenant that he's made with us he's told us to be the salt that goes out into the world to bring this friendship covenant to the world you and i are called to do that so that's the, the second covenant the third covenant is called the sandal covenant and it's represented throughout the old testament and the sandal covenant was a covenant of inheritance okay and it was so so specific that the ancient israelites would mark the boundaries of their property right because one of the big things you would have in an inheritance was property okay so they would mark the boundaries of their property with old sandals and, and and they would finalize contracts and things as it progressed with sandals. Okay? So they would take that sandal, worn-out sandal, and they put it on the corner of their property and they weight it down with rocks. And God talks about in Deuteronomy, He talks about, you do not move the boundary markers. Of someone else. (laughs) I mean, this this is a serious thing. The sandal covenant. It's a covenant of inheritance. And it's the symbol of inheritance. And along with that inheritance means, hey, along with it, not only do you get all of this inheritance, but that means all the stewardship required of you to have that inheritance. That you're recognizing solemnly your duty to, to be a good steward of what you've inherited because it's yours then the final is the betrothal the wedding covenant so these this drinking of wine these cups that they share together progresses and each one of them represents these covenants and so the very first one, when the father and the, and the groom walked through the door, and man, as, as fast as that door was shut behind them, the very first cup would, would be consumed. And that cup is the cup of sanctification. That's what it was called. And it represented the servant, the blood covenant. Okay, And the whole family participated. So man, as soon as they walked in and the door was shut, the whole family, everybody, from the age of accountability and up. Okay, so the little kids weren't, weren't drinking wine, <laughs> But the age of accountability and up, they would all participate. And the bride and groom being there represented the, the, the groom, or pardon me, the groom and his father represented the groom's family, right? They would all drink and partake of this cup of sanctification together. The whole family did it. Okay? and And what was that meaning? It was meaning that, hey, we're going to serve. As they, we're drinking that together. They're saying, our families are going to serve one another. We're coming together. And, and you're going to serve, every, everybody in the household is agreeing. We're going to serve your family, and your family's agreeing. Everybody in your household is going to serve our family. And this relationship of servanthood is entered into. Then the next cup, cup number two that comes along, is called the cup of bargaining. And the cup of bargaining represents the whole salt covenant. It's this family saying, as we're entering into this bargaining process, in other words, we're beginning the ketubah. We're beginning the marriage contract. We're going to talk through all the details of what is going to be in this contract. And every Jewish wedding has a ketubah, okay? an agreement. And it's very specific. And... and what it details out. Again, we're not going to talk about that today. All right. But this cup of bargaining, only the bride and the groom and the two fathers drank that cup of wine. They're the ones who are going to sit down. Ultimately, the bride and the groom are the ones who are going to be married. And the two fathers and these two are now going to talk about what are the terms of all of it. Okay. What did Jesus say about those who love him? What are they going to keep? They're going to keep his commandments, right? And he's laid laid these things out. Love one another. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another. Okay? So he's laid those out. And it committed the, the two families to eternal friendship. Man, they're turning into one big old family. That's what the whole salt covenant is about in this cup of bargaining. The process is beginning. Okay? Then, the cup number three, this is an important one. As, as they're finishing dinner and they're finishing all these negotiations of what's going to be contained in the ketubah, in the marriage contract, they drink the cup of redemption. Okay? And the only two people who drink that cup of wine are the bride to be and the groom to be. This, this is the sandal covenant it's the covenant of inheritance so what they're what they're saying is that our two families our marriage and all of the inheritance that we have will come together in the marriage relationship and be this big family you know we talk about you know being adopted in as children into the family of god and the inheritance (coughs) that we have by being adopted in but we're not just adopted in we're 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 the bride and that all gets into why we sit on the throne with him and all kinds of other things that, that we're going to see that we're the bride and all of this is sealed and this is ancient so you'd be discussing at the table the things that had come and the things that have to come yeah, that's exactly right and, and, you, and that will really become clear when you look at how the ketubah is structured Okay, And then you overlay that and look at the Torah and look at the Old Testament. Man, it's a giant ketubah. <laughs> that's what it is. It's a marriage contract. And, and in the process that happens, what the groom has to go do, I mean, this stuff is like neon flashing lights right in, in our face. And we don't talk about this stuff. So going back to this idea of, of the Jewishness of it, well, I mean, it, when, when that's done and they drink that cup, Guess what it just did? Man, it officially sealed that marriage commitment. Okay? So when I was talking over here, they could still get out of it kind of a thing? Well, now the only the only way... Comes, well, I'm not even going to get into that. Yet. That's down the road. Okay? But they're man and wife. Okay? It's so officially binding, so legal... Alright? Even though the marriage isn't consummated yet, and the and the marriage ceremony and feast hasn't happened yet, they are legally man and wife. She's not living with him, she's not allowed to live with him yet. Man, that'll make some things go ding 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 ding. Okay? But they're man and wife. And it's so legal that it takes a writ of divorce. That's how legal that is. Okay. Man go ahead. That's the betrothal cup, okay? That's the marriage cup. That one doesn't get drunk yet. <laughs> and, and I'll just give you a little hint. What did Jesus say when they tried to give him vinegar wine on the cross? Man, he, he, he said no, right? He, he, he refused it. But why? Because at it, 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 another point, after he drank the wine at the Last Supper, he said he would not taste of the fruit of the vine again until a certain point. And that certain point is when we're in heaven with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, the betrothal cup, the marriage cup. Now, that's amazing stuff, right? If we ignore the Jewishness of Christianity, and we ignore, and we and you know, some people say the Old Testament doesn't matter. Right? I mean, what do I need to read that for? So when Joseph and Mary became betrothed, even though she was pregnant, that legally made them man and wife. They were man and wife. Okay. But because he couldn't. But but they. they, 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 they oh yeah, no, that's not true. Yeah, <laughs> they went through the betroth. That's why he was faced with a dilemma. Okay, which is one of those things that that. Uh, is in there? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but yes. Okay. Yeah. So this is a backdrop. We need to know what's happening, and we need to know the important because at the end of this, man, when we get to Revelation 19, you know, we're we're going to be entering into the marriage feast of the Lamb. Okay. It's a gruesome one, <laughs> in, in one sense, because of, you know, uh, what's going on. But th- this is a this is a backdrop. You got to understand what's happening. Okay, so Lord, we just thank you, Father God, for who you are. We we pray, Lord, that uh, that you help us just to understand these just different realities, just different aspects of of your Word and who we are in you. We just pray, Father God, that you guide us and lead us, and and that your Holy Spirit just connect these dots for us and, and teach us these uh, deeper meanings, Father, that you want us to see and to know, ultimately. Just who you are as our Lord, our Savior, of our great God and Creator, of of just how much you love us, what it really meant when you said that you you love the world so much that you gave your only begotten Son. Lord, so that we understand fully and completely what your Spirit is doing in us, the gifts that you give, and and just all that you're doing. We just ask that this morning, uh, during the service and the time that we spend together, that you be lifted up and that you be glorified